and welcome back to the Illuminations Media Network. I'm Tamara Taggart and I'm super excited that you're here this evening for this interview. And today I am interviewing Professor Kaba Hiawatha Kamene. Our guest is an educator, he's a consultant, a curriculum and community developer. Professor Kamene is also a principal facilitator and chief executive officer of the African-Centered Science Academy named Per Ankh, which means Temple or House of Life. He's also the star expert of Hidden Colors documentary series, as well as the narrator of the national hit, Out of Darkness. Well, today we're going to be interviewing Kaba about one of his many, many books. One of my favorites is Spirituality Before Religions. Spirituality is unseen science, and science is seen spirituality. That's one of his, his main tenets, and that's why I absolutely am so inspired by his work and his perspective. He goes beyond the emotionality of things. He gets right to the core and to the science of it all. But today we're going to be interviewing Kaba about his new book, Shabaka's Stone, an African theory on the origin and continuing development of the cosmic universe. Now, you know, this sounds like it's way out there beyond my focus, which is on the mind and uh, creating lives that are going to work for us by utilizing our mind and really getting to know our true power as spiritual beings having a physical experience. But this ties completely and totally in with the spirituality tip here. This is about creation. And Kaba is going to break it on down because when we look at Shabaka Stone, we are looking at another instruction manual that our ancestors have left. They've left clues all over the planet. The rocks are actually crying out. <laughs> clues as to our next steps as we awaken to our true identity. And welcome to the show, Brother Kava. I'm so glad that you decided to join us here on the Illuminations Media Network. How are you, brother? My sister, I am doing excellent. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Oh, yes, I'm excited. I have been excited for years. Finally got you on. <laughs> right. Fantastic. That is fantastic. You know, this is a luminary spotlight. So I'm shining the spotlight on you because you are making an incredible difference on the planet for our people and for everyone, you know? Everybody needs to wake up. That, that, it's time. You know, I, I remember back in the day, Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes had a song called Wake Up Everybody, No More Sleeping in Bed. I remember that. <laughs> remember? Time for forward thinking, you know? No uh, more sleeping uh, no in more bed. Thinking. Here we go. <laughs> no more backwards thinking time for thinking ahead that's right that's right wake up everybody it is the time we, we can feel it you know for those that have been in this work for all of these years watching what's been going on just by you know the the symbiotic nature of things you know it's, it's all coming to this point now it this is. is a wonderful time live 
It is. And, and there's, there's no undenying, no, no deniability here. It, it is happening and mm -hmm. it's in everyone's faces, you know? Yeah. And, and, That's you it. know, looking at your book, the one that we're going to talk about, which is Chewbacca Stone. You know, I remember a saying that, you know, if folks don't tell the truth or talk about things or recognize things, the, the rocks are going to cry out. <laughs> oh, yeah. They are crying out all over the planet. And you've written this book about this particular stone here. And I just really want to get into it. I know that the little research I've done, you know, on Shabaka and who he was, you know, that he was a, a Kushite pharaoh who said, hey, I need to take back <laughs> what was ours, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then he has... I guess he commissioned this particular stone that's outlined something that is so important, something that's really near and dear to my heart because I'm all about spirituality and uh, learning about who we truly are and taking that power and, and just raising humanity up as, as we are supposed to be. And from what I've been reading, this is what this is speaking to. So this is so important. So first of all, brother, I know you've done your research because you are that researcher. You are that scholar. Who is, who was Chewbacca to start with? As you said, my sister, Pharaoh Chewbacca, the African term for him is Neset Biti, which when um, put into its proper, if we could say it in English, Neset Biti means the one who has the right to rule. We call him Pharaoh, come from the word Per'ah, which is a Greek concept, which is the house of life. But Neset Biti, or Pharaoh Shabaka, was one of the Pharaohs, Neset Biti, who ascended the throne during what's called the 25th dynasty of ancient Kush Kemet, or what is called the sixth Napatan dynasty, Napata being from Nubia. He joined a long line of family members, starting with his, starting with his uncle Alara, going to his father Kashta, his brother Pianki, and then Shabaka. Alara and Kashta started to push out the Indo-Europeans out of Kemet. But it wasn't until Shabaka who actually took over control of Kush Kemet at this time in history. When he was in the vicinity of what we today call Memphis, which was in the ancient world called Heka Patah, the will of, of, of Patah, the energy, the spirit of Patah, they came upon a document that was worm-eaten. It was either written on leather, carved on leather, or written on papyri. We don't know which it was. However, According to his own scholars, Shabaka said, this is too important a document to let it go because we cannot read it from beginning to end. So we're going to rewrite it. And we're going to add the newest science to this cosmic theory on the origin of the universe. And we know this because on the top two lines of Shabaka stone, that's what's written. And then there are 62 vertical lines. And that is what reveals the uh, philosophy of how 
the Kush Kemet saw the coming into being of the universe, which is exactly what we teach in science today. But our ancestors spoke in metaphor. Figurative language is very important to us. Rap music, hip hop, the way we talk is all based on the same concept of that metaphor. You know, like when something is so good. As Africans, we think, wow, this is this is so good. But this, English doesn't allow us. You know, we have to put very or very, very, very good. <laughs> but to us, what we did is instead of going through all of those conniptions of very good or very, very good or whatever, we said that's bad, <laughs> which is opposite of good. But we know when we're talking to each other that when we say that's bad, what we really mean is that's better than good. Now, if we were to add like a tone in our voice, that is bad. That bad is better than bad, which is better than good. <laughs> and then when our body gets up into it, that, that is bad. That bad is better than bad, which is better than bad, which is better than good. So we were able to express it in metaphor. And that's what rap is. Okay, I'm crazy happy. That's an oxymoron. You know, um, we we used opposites to stress, even the double negative that stresses the affirmative. I ain't never going to go there again. Yes. Okay, now you could say, I'm never going to go there again. But when we use the double negative by saying, I ain't never going there again, that means, hey, <laughs> don't even talk about it. You, it's something you can feel, most definitely. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. And you know, my sister, that becomes very important for us as African people to be able to interpret our world. Because there are things that we know cannot be expressed. Our ancestors had a word, mer, M-E-R, mer, which the closest we can come to in what we speak is agape, which is that ultimate love. But that ultimate love many times is unexplainable. And that's why we say, I love you so much, words could never explain. So that when you get to that point, for us, it becomes a feeling. It's not something I tell you. It's something that is demonstrated by the nature of our relationship. And when we, and we're doing it as, as we speak, we're doing it, we've been doing it since we got here. We just didn't know what we were doing. We were not conscious of our consciousness. And that's what we have to work towards as we regain our consciousness. Yes. Yes. And that is who Shabaka was. Mm. Wow. He was paying homage to his ancestors. And he realized that that document was so... And here's the other thing, my sister. When it was first written in the ancient world, and when Shabaka rewrote it, okay, we got how far back it was written thousands of years before Shabaka. And now we have Shabaka. From then to Shabaka, about 710 BCE, before the Common Era. Basically, it's around Shabaka's time. 710 BCE. However, to emphasize how he was honoring his ancestors, when it was supposedly written, which we don't really know because it's probably older than that, 
it was called the Memphite theology because it was found in Memphis. The time that it was first written and then when Shabaka rewrote it. Now let's look at when Shabaka rewrote it and today, September 16th, 2021, more time elapsed between when it was first written and Shabaka than when Shabaka rewrote it and today, which means that his ancestors were more ancient to him than Shabaka is to us. And that's why in my acknowledgments, one of the first things that I do is pay homage to Shabaka and say, I am honoring Shabaka as Shabaka honored our ancestors. Because if it wasn't for Shabaka, we would not have this document. And as you were speaking, my sister, one of the most important things for us to understand about Shabaka's stone, the primary source. Today's science is based on secondary and tertiary sources. That's a very important difference. We got the person speaking on stone to us. We're not looking at um, uh, Da Vinci and we're not looking at Galileo. Who Galileo said himself in his documents that he improved the telescope. So if he improved it, it means he didn't create it. It was already there. Yes. Johannes Kepler admitted that he studied the golden law of planetary motions of ancient Egypt. He said that himself. Yet he's given credit for the theory. Bottom line, my sister, we don't know who we are. We as an African people truly and honestly do not realize how great we are because of the nature of what has been put on us as a people in America from when we first came here during this cycle of life. Yes. And we were taught from children. It is an epigenetic tag in us. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to tap into that tag and I'm trying to show you a more ancient tag that tells you how great you really are. It's, it's not that you bequeathed it because you're black. You bequeathed it because you come from a legacy of great people. You don't have to go back to ancient Egypt for a classical African civilization. You can go to the pyramids. And from the pyramids, you can go to the plantation. Our ancestors on the plantation were classical African people. The people who were in the civil rights movement and the human rights movement of the 60s and 70s and in the 50s, they were classical African people. Hip hop is a classical African civilization. When you stop and think about it. That's who we are. But we just don't know it. We must be remembered. Yes. Bring it back together, the little pieces that have been separated, remembering. Yeah. Brother, those pyramids that are right here, that speaks to us too as well. When you speak of the pyramids here, you mean on the American in, in the American hemisphere? Yes, those mounds. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, and, and, yes, they are. And the beauty of it is the science of understanding exactly what those mounds are. Because although those were man-made mounds, the original mounds were nature-made. They're called ring tumuli. T-U-M-U-L-I is plural. 
tumulus is singular. Whether you're dealing with Monk's Mound in Collinsville, Illinois, or if you're dealing with the many different types of, of mounds in, in, in um, Chicago, you know, Illinois has got them. Well, that's where um, uh, Monk's Mound is. Uh, we, we have mounds in New York. We have mounds in Peru. We have mounds in Canada. We have mounds in China. We have mounds in Vietnam. But the original mounds were used for astro-agricultural reasons. Because our ancestors began to realize that as the sun shone down on the earth, and these mounds that were earthen mounds, these were not man-made mounds. This is going back thousands of years now. They noticed that they could tell the season that they were experiencing according to the shadow of the tumuli. They noticed that they could tell the time of day by the tumuli. And so out of that came a study of agri... Because bottom line here is the most powerful science to understand is agriculture. Because if you can eat, you can live. And so their science in the beginnings was based around the study of agriculture in order to bring better uh, uh, foods in, to be able to plant... And so as they looked up into the heavens, they realized as above, so below. And they realized the relationship between the sun and the stars and the events on earth. And so the mounds that you see, the pyramids that you see, are like what we call sundials. Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a reason for that. There's also a reason why you see the perfection of them coming up out of central South Africa, going into the eastern corridor that would now go along the Hopi River or the Nile River that would perfect itself in Ethiopia and in and what we call Kush that would then go into Kemet. And as you travel from south to north, the pyramids or the Mir, Meru, perfect themselves. So we know they started from south and perfected to the north because they learned by their mistakes. Right. That's one of the evidence that it didn't come from outer space. Well, no aliens did this. (laughs) It was Africans and was based in nature. Mm -hmm. And that's what we see across this hemisphere. It's there. We can see it. And there's reasons for why they existed. And brother, the fact that they are everywhere, all over the planet, speaks to the fact that we were everywhere. That's right. These are the same people that are showing up, you know, here in these Americas, the North and the South, and, you know, as you said, you know, in Asia, you know, the so-called Middle East and Africa, and, and even in Europe, they're there. That's right. So what does that speak to? <laughs> the movement of these first people across the planet, known as the yes. Twa Tabuti, mm-hmm. or derogatorily called pygmies. They were the original family. And they started simple as hunters and gatherers. When they perfected hunting and gathering, they then took it to the next level, which was agricultural science. Then they looked at the heavens and realized there was a relationship between the heavens and agriculture. And out of that came the technology that would later build the pyramids. 
all over the planet. Over 120,000. My sister, some people say 200,000. I know that future generations will get better with dating. Yeah. So I don't get caught up in dating. I get caught up in chronology, sequence of events. And what we know is that there's a chance that the first Americans came via Southern Africa on the Benguele coast. And they ended up on the Amazon River. That's why so many of the most ancient artifacts and, and bones that have been um, found are found in Brazil and in that area that we call Brazil. That is probably how the first humans came to this hemisphere, not via the east into America, not across the Bering Strait. They came directly from Africa off one of those coasts, off, off one of those um, um, currents. There are three currents. In fact, we're catching it from the middle one right now with all those hurricanes. Because that's where all those hurricanes originate from right around what we would call uh, a Cabo Verde or Cape or, or, or the Verde Islands off of the west coast of Africa. That is where the middle current comes from that is um, impacted by the wind systems. And we know by trial and error that people have traveled from Africa to America with just a dugout boat. Thor Heyerdahl showed that he could come from, from, um, uh, from West Africa to uh, the Caribbean with no power, no oars, nothing. The wind and the ocean currents would take that boat right into what we call the Gulf of Mexico. Mm -hmm. Science. Science. It's not personal. No, nothing personal. Now, Brother, you mentioned the Memphite theology. Uh, can you explain the atomic consciousness? Okay. Now, yes. in, now my next webinar, which is going to be October third, okay, is dedicated to atomic consciousness because you know everybody talking about the conscious community, right. and they're talking about being conscious. But what I want to do is I want to look at what is consciousness. Yes. Because I don't believe there is a conscious community. <laughs> it doesn't exist. Not yet, right? Well, I believe that there is a community that is conscious. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But you see, what I'm concerned about is that many of us create these illusions of organizations with malintent. And then the way in which we act, if somebody attacks us and calls us out on our malintent, we say, oh, it's because I'm a, or it, you're, you're attacking me because, no, I'm attacking you because you're acting inappropriately. And I think that if the, I know of people who are hiding behind this concept of being part of the cosmic consciousness so that therefore they're going to call up their troops when they're called out on their actions. And, you know, I am too proud of us as a people to allow miscreants to become to come into our midst. You know, I was too proud a teacher all of my career to allow bad teachers to exist. A lot of the trouble I got into was with the union because I was citing teachers that just did not like our children, did not want to be a teacher. And I used to tell them, I blame your high school social worker because whoever told you to become a teacher didn't like you very much because that was a mistake. Oh, goodness. 
Now, Kaba, let's make sure that people know how to experience this webinar. Please give us those details. I don't want it to get lost in the conversation. Sure. You know, well, my web is, yeah. You go to my website, kabakamene.com, K-A-B-A-K-A-M-E-N-E.com. Mm -hmm. And you can uh, download uh, or you can sign up for my webinar or you could go to my Instagram page at Kabakamene and I've got it up on my uh, bio in my links. But I'm doing a series of webinars and I'm also doing a series of quibinars, what I call quick webinars. Okay. Between 20 and 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. But that's dealing with educational methodology. My webinars deals with the information. See, there is a difference between what you teach and how you teach it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Methodology is very important to me. In fact, there's a Moorish proverb that says, once you've learned what you set out to learn, you can throw that away because it was the process of learning it that was the truest education. Yeah. And so I want our community to be able to see, and this goes for anybody. It don't make a difference. I'm focused on, on African-American people. Mm -hmm and people of African descent specifically. But this is good for anybody to know because this system of education in America just did not fail African and Hispanic children. This system failed their own children too. It has caused a great deal of havoc. And there are so many signs of it today that we can see. But, but my thing is my Instagram page is what I call the meeting at the African square. I use it as my bulletin board. My Quibinar series that comes out every Tuesday deals with educational methodology, studying like multiple intelligences. Our next one this Tuesday coming is going to be the difference between episodic history and holistic history. Okay. And so the Quibinars deal with specific topics in how to teach. It is good for anybody to participate, but we have to know what we missed. And that's what I'm attempting to do. We're going to do a series on brain anatomy. We're going to do a, a, a whole piece on how to study. Cause you know, my sister, we always talking, uh, telling children, study, 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 but whoever taught our children how to study, how to study. Yes. That's it. How to study. Yeah. Study is an art. It's yeah. a way you connect your neurons in your brain. You learn your, your learning pattern. You learn how you learn. Mm -hmm. I had a student that could not sit down. Mm -hmm. So the student used to put his knee in the desk and this brother would be moving his leg and everything else, but he'd be taking notes. Right. He did very good in school, but he was what's called a kinesthetic learner. He was rhythmic. Exactly. You know, when you tap the pencil on the desk and the teacher gets upset, what, what the teacher doesn't understand is that that's a rhythmic learner. Yes. You know, when you nod your head, when someone's talking to you and you're like, that's a rhythmic learner. When, when you, because when, when I used to teach, this happened in college specifically, when I would be teaching and I would look at the rhythmic learner and he or she would be nodding their head, letting me know, okay, they're telling me, I got you, I understand. And then all of a sudden they'd stop. Then their eyebrows would knit. And I'd say, where did I lose you? And they'd be shocked. They'd say, How you know? Okay. Yeah. Rhythmic learner. When we know the methods of learning, 
and we, we take down the, the restrictions in learning. Because quite frankly, my sister, why would I have to tell a student, you got to sit down? Why? Because everybody's sitting down and that's what they told you to do? We have to be careful. There are different types of learners. Yeah. There's a musical. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you know, you got a hine and she takes a test in, in fractions. And she doesn't do well on the test that we give her in math. And out of 10 questions, she gets eight incorrect. We tell her, Ahine, you failed. You don't know fractions. And then Ahine, not happy, feeling sad. She puts her headset on after school, going home. And she listens to Girl on Fire by Alicia Keys. Well, nobody ever told Ahine, you couldn't even have started that song without a fraction. Right. Two, four time, you know? Yes. You couldn't sing the song without fractions. Quarter note, half note, eighth note. (laughs) Musicians and and dancers think in bass four. Mm -hmm. We think in bass 10 from zero to nine. And then we get one set, zero left over, what we call 10. And then we get one set, one left over, which is 11. Musicians, be they dancers or musicians, think in bass four. They think zero, one, two, three, and then they got one set, zero left over. Mm-hmm. What would be five in base 10 is one set, one left over. What would be six is one set, two left over. Mm-hmm. So when I interacted with children, I tried to bring the music teacher and the math teacher together so that the music teacher could let the students know, you know, you, you, you great math. Every musician is a mathematician. Yes. <laughs> this is so important. I'm hoping I, I have uh, educators. I'm a retired teacher. I'm going to make sure that I share uh, your webinar with the teachers oh. that I know. This is such invaluable information. Yes. Yes. And the webinar, my sister, the webinar also, which mm. is teaching methodologies. It's helped a lot of teachers. And mm. what I decided to do is split away from the webinar, because I've been doing webinars for years. But I wanted to do a quick webinar. Mm-hmm. 20 minutes. Take topics and just focus in on them. Mm-hmm. What are the arts and sciences? What are the liberal arts? What's the quadrivium and the trivium? The seven liberal arts. Mm-hmm. Okay. The quadrivium is arithmetic, geometry, music, and astronomy. The trivium is grammar, rhetoric, logic, and dialectic. Those were the seven liberal arts that were taught in the temples of ancient Kemet. That was transformed into what we call the communication arts, the physical sciences, and the social sciences, which is what we teach in schools today. What are those things? And how do they apply? What is multiple intelligences? Do you, did you ever hear about uh, Benjamin Bloom and Bloom's taxonomy? Mm-hmm. Yes. These are the types of things that I'm trying to bring to the community to help us understand the process of education. Yes. And then the webinar, deal with what it is that you're going to teach. Yes, this is the important for parents. Parents need to yes, recognize yes. their children's learning style because the parent is the first teacher. Yeah. 
identifying the child's strengths and their natural learning style is so important. And then the parent can be the advocate when communicating with the teacher. Yeah. Yes. And and the the cornerstone to education lies in the feminine energy of the woman. Because she is that child's teacher 10 months before the world even knows that child's oh, going to come in. Yes. Yeah. You're teaching while you are bringing that child through those 10 months, uh, 10 months or 40 weeks. Mm-hmm. Everything that you say, everything that you do. You know, it's interesting because I've, I've known um, folk that say, particularly sisters, well, sisters in particular, they say, wow, when I found out that I was pregnant, I didn't drink no more. I didn't smoke no more or whatever it was that she was doing. I didn't go out and party no more. I didn't stay up late, made sure I got my proper amount of sleep. But what sister don't know is that the first 28 hours of your conception mm-hmm. is the most important time in that fetus's life. That's right. And Brother Lord, Kava, mm-hmm. there are some very interesting uh, scientific evidence and some old studies. Of course, they do them with mice. <laughs> but, uh, but I learned about it through uh, Bruce Lipton's work, The Biology of Belief, and the recognition that that fetus, the genetics of that fetus, those, those genes, they are being formulated and they're structuring that child according to the environment in which that child is incubated. So if a child is incubated in an environment that is dangerous, it's unsafe, right? The mother is frightened. She's uncomfortable. She doesn't have enough food to eat. She, she's being abused. This affects the, the brain development of the child and the physicality, the, the level of intelligence of this child and the propensity for the child to be uh, unhealthy emotionally and physically throughout the rest of their lives. And this is something that is so important for us to recognize in our yeah. community, yeah. making sure that we take care of those mamas, you know? Absolutely. And it, it's so important for us to understand also that as we observe that great pain, you have to admire and celebrate the fact, my sister, we're still here mm-hmm. and we're still functioning. Aren't we? <laughs> Can you imagine who we would be if all things were in optimum, ideally, can, can you imagine? Yes, imagine. But you see, now we, and we have to understand why we're being treated this way. Because if ever mm-hmm. we were able to have the proper health, diet, exercise program, proper way of thinking, thoughts, mm-hmm. being overjoyed that this baby's coming into the world and not worried about how we're going to take care of it. Yes. If, if we could bring a child in with that type of love 10 months before it's born, nurture the child, daddy, you know, yes. put his ear next to mother's um, stomach, talk to the baby. Mm-hmm. Read, I, I used to read to our children <laughs> because if the sonogram can pick up the vibrations of the child, the child can pick up the vibrations of my voice. It's right there. Yes. And that baby knows who you That's are. It. That's it. They There's no question because that baby is me or half of me. Yes. yes. It only makes natural sense. You know, I, I, I spoke to a sister today whose dad uh, joined the ancestors in January. Mm-hmm. 
And you know, like like all of us who lose loved ones, there's a personal pain that we feel. Certainly. But if you look at it from a natural perspective, there's no such thing as death. What we call death is but a doorway to the next room in the eternal temple of immortality. And no matter how you may love your mom, your dad, your grandma, the person that did everything for you, I pray it won't be soon, but one day you all going to be together again. That's right. Nobody's going to escape that. Everybody's going to join that. That's right. In time. In time. Brother, I lost my husband. He uh, shuffled off the mortal coil uh, uh, last Mm. year. And uh, he came back and he let me know. Yeah. And Kaba, he allowed me to experience where he was. And I said, I know you are right. You are definitely all right. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, this is, as as African people, this was one of the gifts that we had in life, Mm -hmm. was to understand death. Yeah. And the way in which our Kush Kemetic ancestors are being interpreted by worlds that don't know nothing about us. Right. Perceive yeah. that we have a, a fascination with death. <laughs> but because they see death as morbid, they don't understand that our interest in death was really to unravel the mysteries of life. Right. Because it's all yeah. a continuum. Yes. Just one, they, they, another aspect they, of life. Yes. Mm-hmm. And once we get to understand this and develop this understanding, once we return back, we still will have our challenges, but we'll know how to handle them. It's true. And brother, you know, when we think about all the fears that we deal with in this human condition, they all go back to the fear of death. Whether someone can take your life from you, you are going to be ended. And when you can step away from that fear, oh my goodness, <laughs> who can that's we it. be? That's it. Malcolm X said the price of freedom is death. And that's what the Shabaka stone said. Mm. And that's what I attempted to trace scientifically, <laughs> which means knowledge coming from the word scient. <laughs> Not the science that we know of today although that's included. Astronomy, biology, chemistry, physics, you know, we call that science. Science means knowledge, period, scient. And once we understand this and we see this, then the options and our decisions open up. Because I know we say we wanna, we, you know, we would like to show, we would like to get people out of the box, so to speak. But I say, It's not that I'm trying to get you out of the box. It's that I want you to understand that the box is an illusion. There you go. And the only reason why you can't, and and if I get out the box and you in the box, that means that we can't see each other. Exactly. (laughs) But the reality of it is, is if you realize that the box is an illusion, a mirage, then all you got to do is fix your eyes on me and you'll see me right good. Oh, I love it. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. This is where we are as a people. Death doesn't exist in the African world. This is why in Louisiana and even in Haiti and in other places, they mourn taking 
the individual to the cemetery and they cry and they mourn. They bury, but coming back home, they sing when the saints come marching in. They're partying down the street, yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Because they know something you just said about your husband. Mm -hmm. He's with you. He may not be with you as he was in the physical realm, but he left a memory that you'll never forget. And it's a wonderful experience to always be able to live that knowing it's like, you know, here in New York, I'm going somewhere, two people, you know, we're, we're going somewhere, my friend and I are going, but he has to do something first. So he gets off the train, but I stay on. But down the road, we're going to be back together again. It's just that he had to get off sooner than I did. Or she. Yes. Brother, but I love the way you teach. I, I just love the way you teach. You, you create such amazing pictures with your words. Mm. Yes. That's yeah. right. And you know, my sister, that comes from... I want to congratulate and give credit to my kindergarten children that I taught. Because when you, as, as you know, my sister, when you're around four and five-year-olds, you can never assume that your student knows what you know. No. So you got to think creatively of how to break it down. You see it through their eyes. Yes. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And a, a lot of what I do today comes directly out of that constant experience about thinking, how would a four-year-old think about this? How would a five-year-old think about this? Yeah. And then I break it down. And then I realize as African people, we are extremely visual. The visuals are our are, are perceptions. This is what we're going to talk about in the Atomic Consciousness webinar. Percepts are your senses, what you see, what you hear, what you taste, what you touch, and what you think. Because thinking is a sense. But then when you when your brain gets crowded with all these percepts, they they synthesize into what's called a recept, which is an image. Okay. Reception. From an image, mm -hmm. reception. And then a reception, many of them come together. So what we have to do is uh uh, uh it, it you know it comes together through synthesis and a reception becomes a conception or a concept and the cornerstone to breaking out into the concept is the fact that you now have a word that comes forward mm -hmm. and then you have what's called intuitive instinct that's the fourth step it's called stages of intellectual growth mm -hmm. and so what you see what you smell what you taste are all of the images and you see something, you taste something, you smell something, and then you look at it, it becomes an image. And then every time you see that image, you say that, like what is behind you, is a leaf. <laughs> yes. And then no matter, I'm talking to you right now, my sister, I know what's behind you is a leaf. It's intuitive instinct. Imagine billions of those being done in the human brain at one at, at one time and collectively as we move through life, we gather these percepts, these recepts, these concepts, and these intuitive um, instincts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
That is what built the pyramids. <laughs> and, and you know, in the world that we live in, Kaaba, we've got all kinds of conceptions that others have inserted and we've accepted as ours. Okay. And, and right here, I'm thinking about one. I'm thinking about this whole idea of, of the Messiah coming. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. But here, in, in this Memphite way of, of looking at things, this theology, that, that, that it's already in you. It's part of you. Yeah. You see, and that is empowerment right there. I don't have to wait and look for somebody outside of myself. That power is right there within me. Yes. You know, and, and looking at how how people of a, of a different way of viewing the world, you know, through morbidity, you know, will construe these concepts. You know, we know where they came from, right? They came from Kemet. Yes. And then they were misconstrued into what? Anthropomorphized external? Yeah. Wade Nobles calls it vomit. Vomit. <laughs> Okay. Intellectual vomit. <laughs> okay. And what he meant by that, when he when he taught us this lesson, he said that the Kush comedic legacy was too was too rich a meal for the Greeks and Romans to be able to digest. They weren't ready for it. No, and they did not have the digestive enzymes to break it down. So what happened is that they regurgitated. It was vomit. And while you should not eat it, you should not smell it, you should examine it. Because in that vomit is the original meal. Find out what that original meal was. Prepare it yourself. Because you do have the intellectual enzymes and the spiritual enzymes to break down what our ancestors were saying. And that is what Shabaka did with his ancestors. And that's what I did with the Shabaka stuff. Oh. So brother, this book is on Amazon. It is on Amazon, yes. Okay. Okay. And, and, and this is my third book. Mm-hmm. Shabaka Stone was the book I wanted to write. <laughs> but you know, when you go to college and you, you're taking algebra, you have to take pre-algebra. Yes. Or if you're taking calculus, you take pre-calculus. It's really something that you take to prepare you for the terminology of what you're going to experience when you take the course. Right, right. So my second book was called Spirituality Before Religions because I wanted to lay the groundwork for what Shabaka Stone was going to lay out. And the subtitle of Spirituality Before Religions, my second book, is Spirituality is Unseen Science. And science is seen spirituality. I can feel that. Yes. Okay. Yes. If, if I showed you a piece of leather, I wouldn't have to say, Sister Tamara, is what is suede on the other side? I wouldn't I would, know it. <laughs> if I showed you a coin that the head's on one side, I wouldn't say, Sister Tamara, is... is, is Tails on the other side. No, you would know it. So when I show you spirituality, understand what's on the other side. Science. Yes. And what I attempted to do in my second book was to break it down and analyze some of the ancient texts of our ancestors. 
the Memphite theology, the pyramid text, the coffin text, the book of the coming forth today by night, the judgment scene, the Aten text, Shabakistan. But my first book was dedicated to William Leo Hansberg, who I consider to be the intellectual architect of America's African studies program. Back in 1922, he developed the first three courses on African history taught in any accredited college in the world. I use the word accredited because we've always been teaching our, our history and science, but he did it in an accredited school where children, students got credit for it. And so I wanted to start my journey by paying homage to my ancestors. And by doing so, my first book was to bring William Leo Hansberry's genius to the public to help them understand what this man did for us. If you're interested in African history, if you're interested in culture, you need to know who William Leo Hansberry was. But not just that, my sister. Just as Shabaka honored his ancestors, I wanted my first book to honor my ancestor, William Leo Hansberry. So the three books are a trilogy. They're all independent of each other, but they're interdependent in terms of the concept that I'm trying to present to us as a people. We have to understand how great we are. Too many of us suffer from the imposter syndrome. Too many of us want to talk about humble and humility. I don't like those words. I am not humble and I don't act with humility. I own my footsteps. I recognize my greatness, but I also realize that in my greatness, that greatness is in everybody else. Yes. My greatness doesn't make me greater than anybody else. Right. It just allows me to be me and understand that together, if I help you, I'm helping myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is my advantage to want to do whatever I can to make anyone a better person. That's right. Because we all ain't going to be the sun every day. You see, there's sunshine and there's moonlight. The moon don't have shine. <laughs> moonlight is the shine from the sun. <laughs> I love it. And you see, today I might be the sun and someone else might, might be the moon. That's right. But if I shine on you and let you light tomorrow when you the sun and I'm the moon, you'll shine on me and give me light. That's right. We're all here together. I had an aunt that told me, because I used to, when I had problems going on, nobody would hear from me, right? I'd go lick my wounds <laughs> and hide out. She said, baby, you know, if God wanted you to do all of it by yourself, he would have put us all down here one at a time, right? She mm. said, but he put us down here all together. Yes. We're doing this together. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. I'm very comfortable in my skin. Mm -hmm. And I tell our people I have no regrets. Mm -hmm. I have history. We all have history. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a project in mid-Manhattan with all of the, the things that would be in a project. Right. But out of this, in a Caprarian way, Kepra is the dung beetle. 
that represented the process of becoming. Mm. And a dung beetle eats cow dung. A dung beetle puts her eggs in cow dung. And the baby dung beetles come forward to life through eating the dung. And Dr. King used to say, your character is built during times of controversy and conflict, not during times of comfort and convenience. Anyone can do the right thing when it's easy, but only a special person can do it when it's challenging. That's right. And it's all about, right, Cobb? It's not about what happened or whatever. It's about what you decided to do with it. That's it. Yeah. What that did is you exactly do what it, with it? That's right. Mm. Nature comes and we are born. Nature gives us a set of cards to play, which is life. I have known people that were given a very bad hand. And I've known people that have been given a very good hand. And I have watched people with the bad hand win the game. And I've watched people with the good hand lose it. So it's not the cards that you're given. It's how you play them. That's right. And we have played a magnificent card game. As an African people, I have such an admiration for us. I love our people unconditionally. Make no difference, you pimp, prostitute, gang, banger. It doesn't make a difference to me where you are in the station of life. If you wait for the red light to come so you can come out and ask me for a dollar to put in your cup, if you black, I got nothing but respect for you because to be black and alive in 2021, you are a walking miracle. But you don't Ashe. know it because you know been through. Ashe. Yeah. And Kaba, one thing about that too is that again, we've taken on other folks' values. Have we not? Yes. On, on what it yes, means to be successful or to yes. be admirable. Exactly. And Malcolm taught us when he spoke to this one person of European descent, he said, you are not the measure of man that I wish to measure my manhood by. Shekhanta Diop, the great Senegalese scholar in his book, Civilizational Barbarism, he has a chapter, Why Cultural Identity. And what he tells us is that when someone wishes to oppress another person, this has nothing to do with culture. This has to do with just trying to oppress somebody. They'll, there's three things they'll take from you. They'll take your history, your language, and your psychological factor. Your psychological factor are your VIPs. Dr. Leonard Jeffries calls them your values, your interests, and your principles. And after they take your history, your language, your values, interests, and principles, they then, through force, superimpose their history, their language, their values, interests, and principles on you. So my sister, tomorrow, whatever decision I may come to is never going to be in my favor because I'm not looking at the world through my own eyes. That's right. We live in a big, a huge collective Stockholm syndrome. That's right. Motivated by the illusion. Mm -hmm. It's an illusion. Mm -hmm. The word, the term white supremacy is an oxymoron. There's nothing supreme about being white. In fact, if you want to get scientific about it, everything that is white is recessive. And everything that is melanated is dominant. 
So I don't talk about superiority and inferiority because honestly, I've met people in all cultural backgrounds and, and, and I can't get caught up in what they're caught up in. And I'm not going to put myself in that rabbit hole by attempting to speak absolutely about everybody. No, no. You know, as, they, as we, we say, I think we talked about it before when we were um, preparing to do the interview that, you know, all skin folk ain't kin folk and all kin folk ain't skin folk. That's it's it. what's going on inside. When we start to judge other people, you know, by the color of their eyes, Haley Selassie, <laughs> the color of their skin, Martin Luther King, then we're beginning to lose. We're yes. losing sight of what's real here. That's it. It's what's going on inside. Yes. And I think as we do what you say, we are losing our natural senses. We're losing our perceptions, our sense perceptions. Because if you can look at somebody and label them something without what you see, what you hear, what you think, what you smell, what you taste, if you can come to a a conclusion simply because they are what they are you begin to lose your your perceptions that's right seeing ain't believing hearing is not audible and when you lose your perceptions you lose the image when you lose the image you have no word for what it is because there is no word for your illusion because it's an illusion and then you cannot be instinctive with it that's right and so it behooves us never to go down their rabbit hole but to be aware of it right because i tell people of european descent there's a thousand wolves outside my door 100 of them would risk their life to protect me i know that 900 are ready to eat me alive I got to go out. The question is, I know there's a hundred out there, but I don't know where they are. They could be in the back and the 900 could be in the front. <laughs> yes. I'm not ready to go outside. And if I do go outside, I'm coming out prepared to deal with the 900, not looking for the 100. <laughs> yes. So I tell people of European descent, I know you're out there. I know there's good white people. Mm-hmm. I don't have time to look for you. Plus, if you really want to help us, there's nothing you can do with us. You need to talk to them beasts in your community. The best way that people of European descent who mean to change the way things are, the one way you can help us is by talking to your Uncle Derek. Who, when you used to have family reunions, would sit in the chair and talk about how he wanted to put his knee on black people neck. And when you went to his mother and said, auntie, Derek is talking about murdering. Mommy said, oh no, 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 no. He's not like that at all. He's just saying that, don't worry about it. No, uncle Derek is like that. (laughs) And just when he's let loose in our community, we see that uncle Derek. George Floyd saw that uncle Derek. What mama should have done was corrected him when he was a child. And what that young person that observed Uncle Derek acting like that should have done was call him out. But she, they let Uncle Derek con- continue that way. You want to help us? 
talk to the people in your community. Because you know, my sister Tamara, this thing that we're going through, this ain't our problem. No. This is the Hatfields and McCoys. Yeah. This has been going on since they were in the ice 5,000 years ago. They've been fighting each other like this for a very long time. That's right. We just happen to be in the middle of it because black folk are in the middle of everything because we are the cause and causation of everything that exists. But with this analysis, we have got to use ma'at that will balance. You, you, you know what's a, a phenomenal thought? Is when your grandmother was born, she was born with every egg that she would ever have. That's right. Which means that when your grandmother was born, your mother was born. But isn't it interesting to realize that if that be true, if when if when your grandmother was born, your mother was born, when your grandmother was born, so were you. Because you were in your mother that was born in your grandmother. That's right. Imagine how far back we go. We have always been here. And before we were mammals, we were amphibians. Before amphibians, we were, well, reptiles. Before we were reptiles, we were amphibians. Mm -hmm. Before we were amphibians, we were fish. Before we were fish, we were plants. Before we were uh, plants, we were bacteria. And before that, we lived in the cosmic reality. So we might have physically manifested ourselves at birth, but our existence has always been because science teaches us that energy cannot be created, nor can it be destroyed. It just changes form. That is right. it. Mm -hmm. And upon our transcendence on this level, we will go into that next room mm -hmm. in the eternal temple of immortality. That's science. That's not wishful thinking. And you can have the most beautiful funeral in the world. Mm -hmm. You can pray all you want. But wherever that person ends up, he or she was going there without your prayers, or even if you just put him in a box and put him in the ground. Nakaba, something that I intuit here is that wherever you are, when you go to the next room, that's where you're going to be. That all of the work that we need to do is doing life on this side. And that's what the text tells you. Is it? Okay. See, my sister... When they wrote the text, like, for instance, when they wrote the 12 hours of the Amduat, this is just part of their text. Mm -hmm. They talked about at death that you went un to the underground mm -hmm. and you were tried for your life. Mm -hmm. Your heart was weighed against the feather of Ma'at. Ma mm -hmm. Truth, justice, harmony, balance. Mm -hmm. And in those 12 hours... You came forward today by night. That's why it was called the book of the coming forth today by night. Your heart was weighed. Mm -hmm. And you were judged for the life that you lived. Mm -hmm. But that concept is not just about death. It's about life. Yes. It is about how we can live a life on earth to bring the heaven or the amenta onto the earth. Mm. And what would be equal to going into heaven in the afterworld 
is equivalent to becoming conscious in the living world. Yes. And those that became conscious, there, there is a, in in um. In in spirituality before religions, I I analyze a particular chapter in the book of the coming forth day by night, chapter forty three. And it's it's the chapter of not letting the head of the deceased be carried away from them in the afterworld. And basically what it says is the fact that if you lived a righteous life on earth, if you lived by the principles of Ma'at, justice, harmony, order, arrangement, if you lived by those principles, then what would happen is that in living in those principles and doing those concepts, what you would do is move to a higher level of consciousness. And that's who we are. And what it said is that, for instance, this is part of what it says. It said, the head of Asar was not carried away from him. When they say Asar, they're meaning the living person. Okay. When they're talking about the spirit of that person, they call them Asar Ani. Hmm. Ani depicts the spirit of that person. It says, uh, the head of Asar was not carried away from him in this world. Let not the head of Asar Ani be carried away from him in the next world. I have knit my bones together. I've made myself whole and sound. I have become one again. I am a saw the Lord of eternity. And basically what that's saying is that the head represents consciousness. It represents all the things that you did. It represents thinking. And so therefore it's saying, I haven't, I didn't lose my consciousness in life. Let me not lose that consciousness going into heaven. And so what they were saying, even though they were talking about it as it related to the death of the Neset Biti, what they were really talking about is the life that the Neset lived while he was alive. While he was alive. Yeah. Hmm. So it wasn't a, 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 an over a, a overabundance of, of, of getting caught up in death. It was understanding that as you do today, you do in the next world. Yes. Hmm. If you earn consciousness on earth, you lived a righteous life, you do good for people, you do Harriet Tubman, Nat Turner, Malcolm X, Booker T. Washington, Sojourner Truth, you live that life, you deserve heaven in the next temple. And that's what they talked about. And you can go through all of them. I'll give you another example. Mm -hmm. Did you say you grew up Roman Catholic? No, no, I did not. Okay, I grew up Roman Catholic. Okay. I I, I thought in our conversation I, I might have heard, but that might have been somebody. No, my parents sent me off to uh, to Sunday school. They did not go to church, and they said, "You figure it out on your own. Go check it out." Okay, <laughs> no, I, that's a good way to do it. I grew up a choir boy, altar boy. I want to be a priest. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 you know, when you when you grow up in that world. You know, that's that's what you see. And as a choir boy, I sang the high mass. As an altar boy, I served mass. I spoke Latin better than the priest did. And I I remember what is called the Eucharistic feast, which is when the priest on the altar, I, I would come to him 
and he would have a host, a wafer, a wafer-looking thing. Mm -hmm. And then I would bring um, wine and water, and I would put it in the chalice. Mm -hmm. It represented the body, which was the host or the wafer, and the blood of Christ. Now, let me take you to an utterance on, on the walls of the pyramid text, mm -hmm. 274, 275 to be exact, mm -hmm. where our African ancestors carved on the wall that Unas, who was the Neset Biti of the fifth dynasty, had transformed himself into the bull, Apis. And the bull represents, the bull represents fertility very strong concept and Apis is now going to eat the body and drink the blood of the gods mm -hmm. but it wasn't meant to be taken literally the real story was when you partake of divinity you become divine so when he ate the gods, when he drank the gods, ingestion or digestion is the purest form of having the outside world enter. And the proverb comes, you are what you eat. Mm -hmm. They weren't talking about it literally. Right. They weren't talking about this is my body. Do this in memory of me. They weren't saying this is my blood. Drink of it. That's vampiristic cannibalism. Mm -hmm. What our ancestors were talking about as they were describing is they said in life, if you partake of the godly things like knowledge and wisdom and understanding, if you partake of it, you will become that. If you partake of knowledge, you will become knowledgeable. Right. You if are you what you eat. Of, bottom line. Mm -hmm. And that's what they were saying. And I put that in there to show the community who understand the Eucharistic feast. It existed long. The pyramid text is almost as old as the Memphite theology. It goes back to the old kingdom. And Brother Kava, this brings me, you know, what you're speaking to you. As I said, you, you paint such amazing pictures. And it takes me to the idea that that whatever you are consuming mentally, yes. what, are you, what are you being entertained by? What are you reading, right? Yes. What are you yes. watching? Yes. Who are you bringing into your world? Are you watching lots of violence where people are being murdered constantly? All kinds of horrible things are happening and you are being entertained by that. And, and you wonder why you can't sleep. And, and you wonder why you attract such drama into your world. Yeah. See, we must be very careful about our consumption. Consumption isn't just what we put into our physical bodies. Right. It's about what are we absorbing in our environment? What are we choosing to focus our attention on? Yes. We become that. That is it. You, you, you really have no choice. Yeah. And think of the mummy. The 72-day process of mummification, which is the rising and setting of the serious star. But think of the mummy. Look around nature and ask yourself, what does the mummy look like? I mean, why would they why would they wrap a body in cloth? 
write prayers on it. What would be the purpose? Yeah. Well, let's look at the caterpillar. Yes. <laughs> okay. And as a caterpillar, a caterpillar is earthbound. And the only thing the caterpillar wants to do is prepare him or herself to create the chrysalis or the cocoon. And all it does, it situates itself or hopes to situate itself somewhere near a tree or a plant that has a whole bunch of green things. And its job is to eat only the very best plants, because if it doesn't eat the proper plants, it will not be able to spin the cocoon. Right. Only the best. Yeah. Only the best. Mm -hmm. And then upon eating and going into metamorphosis, it then creates a cocoon in which it literally melts within to come without into a butterfly, which now is heaven bound and only eats the nectar of the plants, only eats the very best of the world. Yes. That is that story of the mummification, mm. that the mummy, the wrapping of the mummy is the cocoon upon which inside that individual life is tested and they go from being an earthbound entity into the flight bound of the Heruber into the heavens. I love it. Our ancestors, my goodness. <laughs> but my sister, who was their teacher? It was Ooh, nature. Nature. Nature Look, taught us how to talk. Nature. Yes. Mm. Nature taught us. Mm -hmm. The Twa Mbuti were taught by nature. Mm -hmm. The very best, and when you get down to it, the only real teaching you have. As a gardener, Kaba, I learned so much in my garden. Mm. You know, I often speak of the mind as that fertile soil. Is it prepared? Is it amended properly? Yes. Did, did you take all of the issues and the problems and the horrible things that happened? Did you throw them into the compost pile so that they could become food? Yeah. Nutrition, right? Yes for you to plant those seeds of your life in. You know, it just, and it just shows you if there is not the proper food, the proper nourishment or nutrition, the proper light, the proper sun, the water, if the plant doesn't have that, it's going to become sickly and it's going to become prey for all kinds of pests and disease, which are going to come and help to break it down for the compost pile. Yes. So that it become food for the next generation. That is it. <laughs> Nature. Is it. Yes. <laughs> Think of spirituality. That's right. What? How did we start thinking about God? How did we start thinking about who we were as a people? I'm, I'm not talking about us now. I'm going back in time to the early human beings right. who did not have these perceptual, receptual, conceptual concepts, that they were just learning just by observing everything around them and they observed nature. I know you'll like this story. Or the, or the distractions, right, Kaba? They spent time, yeah. right, in nature. Yeah. Yes, yes. And, you know, think about, well, my favorite food is watermelon. Okay. So, I'm, so I'm, I'll tell the story in the sense of the watermelon. Yes. And think about eating a watermelon and spitting the seeds out. Mm -hmm. And then when you spit the seed out, you notice that where you spit that seed out, more watermelons come. 
And so you begin to realize that, okay, I planted that seed in the earth and watermelons came and they had a certain life and then they aged, they died, they decayed and next season they came back. That's where spirituality came from, from nature. See? Yes. This same Koi San Twa Mbuti realized that the man plants the seed in a woman and that seed grows and then it's born and then it grows. It matures and ages, it dies, it decays and that's where resurrection came from. It came from agriculture. Agriculture. That's where the nature taught us about not just about birth. It taught us about God. Because to them, as they watched that watermelon, that was the creator coming through process for them. And everybody want, you know, I understand people want to believe that they were divinely touched and that the books of, of the Bible were divinely touched by God. Uh, according to the African perspective, no. Nature was our teacher and taught us that we, each and every one of us, is God having a human experience. Brother Cobb, and that, <laughs> this is just... We, we must do that again. We must do this again. I, yes. um, because this is, this is spiritual food that is so nourishing and it is so important for us to have this yes. so that we can see correctly so that we can deal with one another correctly on the right level. You know, when we, when we really see each other, you know, yes. see each yes. other as we really are and and first Absolutely. of all, see ourselves as we really are. Absolutely. And I'd like to leave with just these two commandments. These Please. are two cosmic commandments. The first commandment says that each and every one of us realize that we are the creator having a human experience. And the second commandment is, to, is for each of us to treat the creator's creations mm -hmm. as we would treat the creator within us. And that includes all of nature, not just each other as human beings, but That's first right. you must talk to yourself. Because my sister, we're all born with a Judas and a Messiah. Jude, Judas was born to ensure that you do not fulfill your divine destiny. Okay. The Messiah was born to make sure that Judas is not successful. Hmm. And so while Judas falls down nine times, the Messiah will rise ten. You never give up. You keep on keeping on. And you understand it ain't over till we win. <laughs> I love it. And, and remembering that about one another and treating one another, even if we're behaving as a Judas, yes. we must see the Messiah in one of one another at all times and treat one another well. Yes, that's yeah. the second. That's the second cosmic command. Mm. And, and you know what, my sister Tamar, at one time on earth, we had heaven on earth. Mm -hmm. 
there was a time that we had, you know, Wakanda existed. We have, we, we have to know Wakanda existed. Wakanda happened in the past. Mm -hmm. There were civilizations that were Wakanda-like. Yes. And we can do it again. We if we can. did it then, we have the DNA in us to do it again. Because if you go back 400 years to 1621, for each and every one of us to come into existence, if you go back 20 generations, and if a generation is 20 years, which is 400, 2021, 400 is 1621. When you think you're alone, when you wonder if you walk the earth alone, just realize that for the past 400 years to bring you into existence, my sister Tamar, it took 1,047,576 human beings. In math, it's called exponential expansion. Wow, look at that. Think about the number. If you go back 20 generations, 1621, <laughs> it took 1,047,576 human beings to come into existence, to bring you into existence. We have two parents, four grandparents, eight great-grandparents. You go down the line 20 generations. It took 1,047,576 human beings to bring you into existence. They were, I only took you back 400 years. What happens if I take you back millions? How many people do you think dwell within you? Wow. And we think we're alone? Oh no. For this, we'll I am so grateful. Oh, I'm so grateful to know that. That brings it home. <laughs> Just do the math. Don't believe me. My job isn't for you to believe me. My job is just make us think. Yeah. Thought. Yeah. Thought gave birth to desire. Mm -hmm. Desire gave birth to word. Word made flesh. Word made flesh. Well, Kaba, I definitely I want to that. do this again, you know, because this is deep. We've only yeah. touched the iceberg. There's yeah. so much that we must know and we must, and, and what you are doing here, Kaba, you are stimulating us to think a little deeper. That's it. <laughs> then I've succeeded because that's all I want to do. <laughs> Don't need people to believe me. So <laughs> many of us come to each other and I want you to, because I have insecurities about if I believe this or not. <laughs> And one thing I know is there's still more to become accurate with me. There's still more I have to learn. That's what makes my life so exciting. The more I learn, the more I learn how much more I have to learn. Yes. I don't know how anyone can be bored on this planet. There is just so much to learn. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and we were born to learn it. Well, you know, before we close out, brother, I just want... You, I know we, we talked about um, your Instagram. We talked about your books being on Amazon. Uh, we talked about your webinars and the little short versions of the webinars, the webinars that you're doing. But please let us know, repeat all the things that you're doing and how people can get a hold to this knowledge and partake of what you're sharing. 
absolutely. Well, I well I would say thank you for this opportunity, my sister Tamar. I really appreciate this. My pleasure. Uh, because we we have to do this. We have to save the planet. And I personally believe that African Americans, in particular, but Africans in general, what we went through was divine, as horrible as it was. Because now we know heaven, and we know hell. It is not a figment of an imagination. We've lived it. And I believe that the reason why that happened was for us to save this planet once and for all from those who would wish to destroy it. And so the Instagram, my Instagram page is what I call the meeting at the African Square. It is meant to be a community uh, a bulletin board. I do Instagram lives. And also on my bio, I put up all of my work, all, all the things that I have. And you can go to my link in my bio for my webinars and my webinars. You can sign up for them. But you can also go to my, my website where I have a uh, free e-course and my study guide. My study guide is the most important document I have ever produced. It is about 44 pages. And the purpose of the study guide, I was told by my teacher, Professor John Henry Clark, you may not reach your goal in life. However, those, if you, if, if you create the proper roadmap, those that come behind you will. My study guide is my roadmap. I know what I'd like to see. And quite frankly, even if I had five lifetimes where I lived a hundred years each lifetime, I still could not do what I want to do. That's how much we, we didn't get in this position overnight. It's going to take time to get out. But as long as we realize we got to get out, that's what's important. So if you go to my um, web, um, my website, www.kabakamene.com, K-A-B-A-K-A-M-E-N-E, -E, you put your email in the slot and the first day class will come down and my study guide. And then every day after that will come another class on my book, Spirituality Before Religions. And so you, the Instagram page and then it's the um, web, um, my website. And then my three books, William Leo Hansberry, Spirituality Before Religions, and, and Shabaka's Stone is on Amazon. And that is the easiest and clearest way to be able uh, to get my book. Uh, William Leo Hansberry and Spirituality Before Religions is not just the physical book that you can order, but you, it's also on Kindle. But Shabaka's Stone has so many end notes and it has so many African ways of presenting information that can't go on Kindle because they can't handle the end notes because I wanted to be documented my sister tomorrow I did not want to come before our people and do to them what has been done to everybody else I wanted this to be well documented I wanted you to be able to if you should repeat something I say I want you to be able to cite books yes I want you to be able to explain people why you came to that conclusion and not just because you heard Brother Kaba say it. Because like I tell you, don't believe a word I say. Research for yourself and then share with me what you learned. Because you're going to teach me something. The greatest lessons I ever learned in my life, I learned from my kindergarten children. Do you really want to know yourself? I mean, really know yourself? Hang around four and five-year-olds for a while. 
He'll tell you all about yourself. Totally agree. <laughs> totally agree. <laughs> well, with that, I thank everyone who's joined us here, whether you're listening to the podcast or you're watching us at the YouTube channel. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit here and listen and learn and become more of who you really are. Because Brother Kaba just pushed the button in your mind. <laughs> So until next time, this is Tamara. And remember, as my grandmother always said, get your head together first because your ass will follow. <laughs>